I would ask that you take God's Word in your hands and turn to the uh, book of Genesis. It's right at the beginning, so it should be easy to find for you. And then turn in your all-in booklets to page 54, where you can uh, follow along and uh, take notes as we begin a new series, as we begin a journey following the life of Abraham. An all-in life, a life where he was willing to uh, go where God was calling him to, and while he wouldn't do it perfectly, he would seek to honor God in, in his steps. Now that asks, or begs a question for me to ask this morning, have you ever been asked to do something that seems impossible? Something so big, something so unexpected, Something that would change the trajectory of your life. For me, uh, that took place when I was about 26 or 27 years of age. About 17 years ago, I was like you, sitting in the pew and enjoying being a part of a good church and, and uh, believing that God had called other people to ministry and God had called other people to do things. But not me, not, that, that's not what God was calling me to. And, over the course of a year, coming to the conclusion that God, in fact, was calling me to change course, to change trajectory, and it was a scary thing. Now, when we talk about going into ministry, there are things that maybe make it a little more uh, easy for you. Number one, you go to Bible school, and and you feel this sense of calling, and none of that had happened for me. I had not gone to Bible school. I had not felt that God was calling me to be a preacher, and yet at 26 years of age, that's exactly what God was doing, and the fear and anxiety and dread of doing something that seemed so unexpected that I knew, quite frankly, from a human standpoint, I would fail, and yet God was going to use that in great ways. He was going to lead and guide not only myself, but my family and this church to do something that seemed so out of character for churches, to ask one of their own to come and and to be their pastor. And yet what I've come to realize and what we will see in the life of Abraham is that when we are open-handed with God, when we open our hearts to God, when we say, God, I'll go where you're calling me, I'll follow where you lead, that God gives us everything that we need. God meets us and sustains us and, and God fulfills His promises and His plans through His people. You see, God was going to call this man Abraham to something bigger than himself. He was going to call him amidst his own frailties and faults. He was going to call Abraham to do something that Abraham never would have thought of on his own. But God would do it, and he would lead him to a place of great blessing. Over the next seven weeks, we're going to dig in to the life of Abraham. A man who was far from perfect. And we're going to see it right from the beginning of his story that he makes some big mistakes along the way. But a man who was minding his own business and all of a sudden God calls him into something that he would have never thought possible. God was going to call him to something way bigger than himself. God was going to call him to go all in for him and his kingdom And it would have reverberations, not only in his life, but all of human history would look back to this man, Abraham, and see him as a singular man of destiny. This man that God would call his friend. 
Now, Abraham's about as big as you can get from a notoriety standpoint. Three world religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, all point to this one man, Abraham, and say he is the founder of their faith and religion. When it comes to the place that the Bible holds for Abraham, I want you to know that more than 300 times in both the Old and the New Testament, 300 times he is mentioned, he is named, he is listed, and, and, and the majority of the time it's all good stuff. This man Abraham is a great man. In fact, when the New Testament writer of the book of Hebrews talks about what it means to live by faith, in the great hall of faith, Abraham is given in Hebrews chapter 11 the most coverage of all the patriarchs and all the prophets and all those who had gone before these Christians who were wondering if it was worth it in the book of Hebrews. Scholars say that Abraham is the preeminent man in the Old Testament, while Jesus Christ, of course, being the preeminent man in the New Testament. But I think it's a bit ironic that when Matthew writes his gospel, as he begins to introduce Jesus Christ to this broader audience, he starts his book saying that Jesus is a descendant of Father Abraham. This man is a great man. This man is an awesome man. But what is it about him that makes him so great? Was it his amazing birth story? Nope. We know nothing of how he was born. We don't know anything about his birthday or, or birth story. Maybe it's that he was born into nobility. Nope. There's no royalty in Abraham's lineage. In fact, we know of his father named Terah. And what we know of Abraham uh, in his life is that he was a common man. He wasn't given to greatness before he came to know God, he was a man just like you and me. Maybe it's where he came from. He had been born into the area of Ur of the Chaldeans. Now that's northern Iraq in today's day. And while Ur of the Chaldeans was a large city, 200,000 during the days of Abraham, about the size of the city of Aurora, there were many other ancient cities that had far more to celebrate and commemorate about their greatness than Ur did. So if it isn't his way he was born, if it isn't the family he was born into, or the community he was born into, surely the reason why Abraham is such an amazing man was he was a great man of faith before God met him. He was a worshiper of God. Maybe God looked down from heaven and said, let me find the best worshiper I can find, and Abraham was it. But that's not the case either. Because we are told in the book of Joshua that Abraham's family had a family business where they built idols to many different gods. We know that his dad Terah's name comes from the celebration of the moon god Nana. And so here is this man. He's not a man of, of faith in Yahweh. He's a man who worships other gods like so many of the people who were polytheistic and in that day and in that place. So what was it about Abraham? What was it that caused God to show all kinds of love and all kinds of promises and all kinds of blessings on his life? If it wasn't something he did, then what was it? It is God's unmerited favor. It is His grace. 
God took a nobody and made him a somebody for his kingdom and for his purposes, not because that somebody had something to offer, but because God saw fit to take that which there was nothing to make into something. And that same God is doing that same work in and through us. That same God, by that same amazing grace, is calling us into a relationship with Him. Calling us into a relationship to follow Him and and to serve Him and to honor Him. He's calling us into a relationship to go away from that which is familiar and that which is comfortable, to follow Him to a place where He will lead. My friends, the life and times and journey of Abraham is a model for us of what it means to live a life of faith. God has called us, as He called Abraham, to go to a land that He will show us when we get there. For Abraham, that was Canaan. For us, it's a place in glory. And our job is to live in light of that promise of a place we've never seen or experienced, but believe based by faith that the God who leads us is faithful. And so we look as we endeavor to begin and embark on this journey of faith. As we step out of our comfort zone and seek how we might sacrifice and how we might give in these days to come, we are struck by Abraham's model of faith to go to a place that would make one nervous, to go to a place that would make one anxious, to go to a place where you've never been before. And it's only you and God. But what we're going to see in Abraham's life is while there were pitfalls along the way, while there were problems that would occur, God would be faithful to grow Abraham's faith, and God wants to do the same thing in and through us this morning. Well, Abraham's story starts out in Genesis chapter 12. If you haven't turned there yet, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. And we get right away this call of Abraham. Now, before we get there, we need to recognize where does Abraham fall into the midst of of all the things. Genesis right away, we know Genesis is the story of the beginning. Moses, by God's divine hand, has written a history of events that Moses wasn't even a part of. And Moses writes down in, in Genesis 1 through Genesis 11, God has uh, called Moses to give kind of this sweeping history of what's transpired. And we know that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And God goes about creating. And, and at the end of His creation, He makes as the pinnacle of His creation man and woman made in the image of God. Though made a little lower than the angels, they are the central feature... They are the central focus of creation. And they're the central relationship that God is going to have with His creation. And so He gives Adam and Eve a garden, and their job is to enjoy the garden, to tend to the garden, to be fruitful and multiply, and to create in them themselves a world that they can live in where they will give glory to God in all that they say and do. But we know the story, Adam and Eve failed to live that part of their commitment to God and choose to follow sin and fall into a place of rebellion like the devil before them. 
And what Genesis 3 on does is it chronicles the life of the world marred with sin. And we see stories lines that come up. We see what sin can do. It kicks us out of the garden. It creates enmity between us and God and between one another. Where we're filled with shame. It causes brother to hate brother in the story of Cain and Abel. It causes all kinds of wickedness to grow in and through us to the point that at the days of Noah, every heart, every inclination of the heart was to do evil. And so God, now remorseful that He had created man, brings a worldwide flood. But like Abraham, Noah finds grace. And God saves Noah and his family through the building of an ark. And then after Genesis chapter 7 and 8, we see life after the flood and quickly the, the world repopulates itself. And this is a reminder that these aren't just a couple generations that pass, but there are hundreds of years that take place. And the world repopulates. And in Genesis chapter 11, we come to a place where the populations of the world want to reach God. And they make this commitment with one another that in their unity, they are going to make a name for themselves that will reach the heavens. And to do so, it would be symbolized in the building of the Tower of Babel. And God comes in and He judges them for their sin and their arrogance. And so God has been telling us the story and what seems to be these high points of human history God in Genesis chapter 12 pinpoints the spotlight on one man and in this one man we're gonna see the comings and goings like we've never seen of anybody up to this point written in scripture God is gonna invest a lot of time on this man Abram and this is how the story begins now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and all the people they had acquired in Haran. And they sent out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the Oak of Moor. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So Abram built there an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. From there he moved up to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say, you are my sister. 
that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake he dealt well with Abram, and he had given sheep and oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Like I said, he's not a perfect man. But in Genesis chapter 12, what we see, I think, is a blueprint for our lives. A blueprint for what it means to follow God. I want you to write these things down, and we'll go through them quickly, but let's address five things of what it means to follow God. First of all, following God means listening to God. Listening to God. The text opens up and it tells us that God speaks to Abraham. And God wants Abraham to make a journey to a place that God is going to show him. Now, right away you need to recognize, and we are told by Moses that Abraham is 75 years old. Now, get out of your mind 75 years old in 21st century time. Back in biblical times, people lived to be much older. And Abraham would live to be a couple hundred years of age. And so Abraham is a guy probably in our age bracket in his 40s. Pretty well established. By this point he would have had a wife and and children and had a career and that's where God meets him. He's 75 years old and what God says is he's going to make him the father of a great nation. Now this seems out of place because at this point at 75 years of age, even though they should have had children at this point, they don't because Sarai is barren. And so God is saying, I'm going to do something in you and through you that you haven't been able to accomplish on your own. Now that makes very little sense from a human standpoint. God is going to do something that month after month Abraham and Sarah had learned was a failure. It was something that was elusive. But notice that amidst what God says, these are profound things. These are bombastic statements of what God is going to share. Notice what Abraham does in verse 4. So Abraham went just as the Lord had told him. Now let's stop there for a moment. And let's recognize that Abraham would have never experienced God's blessing... He would have never experienced God's goodness if he had not done this first step of what it means to follow God, and that is to listen. To listen. Something we tell our children all the time. You're not listening. And yet we live in a time and a culture where listening is a lost art. For too many of us, we're doing too much talking. For too many of us, we are distracted by the things of this world. And we wonder, why isn't God speaking to us as He spoke to Abraham? 
Now, we don't know how God spoke to Abraham. We don't know if it was a one-on-one conversation. A God would do that later in the story. We don't know if it was through an angel. Nothing is said of that. We're not told whether it's through the burning bush like he did with Moses. But whatever it was, Abraham had his ears receptive to the things of God. Now let me stop you this morning and ask, how receptive to the things of God are you? And you say, but wait a minute, I'm not experiencing God like Abraham did. No, but we're experiencing God through His Word and through His Spirit. So how receptive are we? Do we have our antenna up to hear from God? Are we tuned in with God so that when He speaks, we're willing to listen? That's the first step of listening. Being ready and receptive. The second element of it is that when God speaks, we don't talk. God says, hey old man, you and your wife are going to have a baby. You're going to have a family. Now, the irony of it at all is that Abram means literally daddy. Abraham means big daddy. And he is no daddy at this point. And so Abraham could have stopped and said, cruel joke, God. You want me to be a dad? Uh, We can't be dad. I can't be a dad. We can't be parents. It's not working that way. But he doesn't. He doesn't argue with God. He doesn't make excuses. I wish I could help you, God, but I can't. None of that. He's willing to listen to God and allow God to speak. And notice then what he does. He does exactly what God tells him to. He's obedient. So first, we need to be receptive. Second, when God says things, we need to stop and and listen to all of it, not coming up with excuses or reasons why we can't do what God's calling us to do. And third, when God says, I want you to do this, I want you to go from point A to point B, that's exactly what Abraham does. Let me ask you this morning, how good are you at listening to God? Are you listening to what he has? Have you gone to the Lord and say, God, speak to me? I want to know how to lead my family. I want to know how I should position myself for the future. God, what do you have for me? And if we're not listening to God, we will miss out on blessings. In this all-in initiative, the most important first step is for us to quiet ourselves and let God speak. To be still and know that he is God. Abraham does it just right. He listens and he does what the Lord asked of him. Notice number two. Following God means leaving your comfort zone. Leaving your comfort zone. We are told in verse one that what God calls him to do is he says, go from your country and to your, and from your kindred and from your father's house. I want you to leave that and go to the land that I will show you. Now let's stop there. Three things that are comfortable to Abraham, God saying, I want you to leave. First of all, he says, I want you to leave your country. That is, your culture. The place where you're well acquainted with. Where you're living life, your language, your currency. All that you are, I want you to leave it. Then he says, I want you to leave your kindred. That is, your community. Your friends. Your work. 
All that you hold dear, all that you built your life upon. I want you to leave that. And then he says, I want you to leave your father's house. And what he's saying there is, I want you to leave your security. I want you to leave your 401k. I want you to leave your retirement. I want you to leave your real estate holdings. All that him and his dad, Tara, had built a life upon. He says, I want you to leave it. And he says, I want you to leave all of that. All that makes you comfortable in life, I want you to leave it. And I want you to go to a place. Now, it would have been great had God said, okay, I want you to leave all these things. And where I'm going to send you... There's going to be a house, and there's going to be a job, and there's going to be family and friends, and there's going to be all kinds of uh, opportunities for you to have a new life. But God doesn't do any of that. There's no brochures. There's no wonderful video montage of what the future could look like. There's none of that. He says, I want you to leave all of that which you feel comfortable with, and I want you to go to a place that I will show you. And so he's got to leave before God shows him something. And that's going to be true for us in this initiative. God isn't going to say, if you give to me, then I'm going to make sure you've got a great house and a great car and the kid's college fund is going to be taken care of. No, that's not how God works. God says, I want you to trust me by faith and not by sight. And I'm going to show you some great and awesome things. But in order to see those great and awesome things, you're going to have to step out in faith and live out the truth of my promises. So there's no crystal ball. There's no future that's painted other than one truth that God's going to be with him. I'm going to show you this land. And so Abraham leaves. He leaves his comfort zone. Now fear and anxiety and the unknowns could have caused him to to stop, but he doesn't. He leaves. I remember when I was asked to be the preacher here, I was comfortable where I was at. The business I had taken over from my mom and dad was thriving. We were just about to start a family. And the time when I took on the church, the church wasn't at a good spot. And it would seem like everything was going to go really, really south. For a while there, early on, I thought God had brought me to the church just to close down the church. And that my name was going to be the name attached to this failure called Village Bible Church. But God had bigger plans. But in order... For that to happen, to be able to see God at work in my own life, I had to leave the comfort zone. I had to leave what I thought was going to be my life into a new life that God was going to show me, but it was going to take a long journey with Him before I would see it. And that's what God's calling us to. God is going to do a great work in our midst. If we're going to see these plans realized across our campuses, we can't stay put with where we're at. Even though it's comfortable. I wrote down in my notes, you got to leave the warm spot. On a cold morning like today, those warm spots in bed feel really nice, don't they? But in order to love the day and embrace the day, we've got to leave it. Now, notice Abraham is willing to leave his comfort zone. But notice that he holds on to something. And I want you to notice the third thing this morning, that following God means you've got to let go of control. You've got to let go of control. So Abraham goes. He goes and he starts heading out to where God wants him to go. And God has given him three promises. 
First, you're going to be a father of a great nation. Second, you're going to be given land. And third, you're going to be a blessing to all the world. That as God blesses you, Abraham, you're going to bless people. Sounds really good, right? You're going to have a son. I'm going to give you a land that not only you're going to have, but your descendants upon descendants, generation upon generation, is going to enjoy this land. And you're going to be blessed so that you can bless others. And so while Abraham heads out, he's got these great promises in store for him, but because of fear and anxiety, because of the comfortability of the life he lived, he hedges his bets. And isn't that what we do? God calls us to something big. God calls us to something great. And what we do is, God, I'll do it if... And so notice the three things according to the three promises. Number one, God says you're going to have a son. Well, Abraham doesn't believe it. And you know what Abraham does? Abraham's told to take his family with him. Now, Moses makes it clear that, of course, Abraham's going to take his wife. But notice he says, and Lot, his brother's son, goes with him. Scholars believe this is the first hedging of the bet in Abraham's life. Why does God, or why does Abraham take Lot, his nephew, with him? Here's the reason. Because when I get to the land that God gives me, and God doesn't give me a son, I will have someone of a younger generation to take care of me in my old age, and who can become my heir. That's not what God said. God said, I'm going to give you a son, not a nephew, but a son. But Abraham makes this decision that God's not going to fulfill his end of the bargain, and so I've got to find a contingency plan that enables me to be faithful to God, but not completely. And so he brings Lot with him. Can I tell you that if Abraham was standing here today, he would say probably the biggest mistake he ever made was ever bringing Lot in the first place? Lot would drive Abraham crazy. Lot would find himself in the worst predicaments, and Abraham would have to go and save him. And we're going to learn over and over again how bad of a decision it was to bring Lot. But because he was struggling with his faith, Abraham brings someone, a crutch, to be able to fulfill God's plan. Notice the second thing that he promised. Remember, he promised him land. And so he gets to Canaan in verses 7 and 8. And he, he, he sits there for a while. But notice in verse 10, a famine comes. And it's a great famine. And so what does Abraham do? He goes to Egypt. Well, wait a minute. Notice in the text, in verse 7, God appears once again to Abraham. He says, to your offspring, I will give this land. Not Egypt, but this land. But a famine comes out. And who can blame him? A famine comes out and there's nothing to eat. And, and yet God has told them to stay in Canaan. But Abraham goes to Egypt. And when he goes to Egypt, he gets himself into all kinds of trouble. None of that trouble would have befallen him had he stayed in Canaan and trusted that even amidst good times and bad, famine or plenty... That this was the land that God had called him to. And if God had called him to this land, he would be okay. So he goes down to Egypt. And he, knowing that his wife is beautiful, he comes up with this plan. Hey, tell everybody you're my sister. That way they won't kill me because they'll want me out of the equation so they can have you. And so she goes along with the story. 
and Abraham pawns off his wife and she's taken into Pharaoh's house and and before anything can really take place God protects Abraham and Sarah and brings plagues onto Pharaoh's house now wait a minute doesn't it say in verses 1 through 3 that you're going to bless the nations through me you know Pharaoh's not saying that right now Pharaoh's been afflicted with all manner of plagues, him and his household. And this Abraham, who God was going to bless to be a blessing, because Abraham has taken control of the wheel, has brought Lot with him, has left the land of Canaan, and has now gone and, and, and lied to God and the Egyptians. Abraham's name is synonymous with plagues, not blessing. Do you see what's happening here? When we take control of our lives, bad things happen. When we, and and we'll do this, we'll take a step of faith and we'll fill out a commitment card and we'll say, God, I'm going to give this to this campaign. And then a famine's going to come. And we're going to say, oh no, no, i got to grab the wheel again because God, you didn't know this was coming. You didn't see this happening. And so I've got to address it. And I will tell you what I have learned in my 43 short years on this earth is when I take my life into my hands, I do a royal job of screwing it up. And that's what Abraham does. In three short decisions, he makes a decision that instead of listening to God and believing God and, and being faithful to God, he becomes faithful to himself and he creates for himself a boatload of issues that will take a lifetime to extricate himself from. That is why when we step out in faith, we've got to let go of control. We have to say to God, and all in life is saying, no reservations, no restrictions. You're open-handed with all of who you are. God, as the country music singer says, says, take the wheel. And when you don't like where Jesus is steering it, you don't try to grab the wheel and turn it the other way. Abraham shows us we've got to let go of control. But notice, even amidst some bad decisions, he does some really great stuff. Notice in Abraham's life, we see following God is living for God, not ourselves. All in living means that you live with God's agenda, with His calendar, with His pocketbook, with His plans and purposes, not our own. And that means we've got to deny ourselves. Isn't that what Jesus said? You want to come after me? You want to follow me? then deny yourself and take up the cross and follow me. And so what a life, an all-in life for God looks like is saying no to yourself more than you say yes. It is saying yes to God before we ever say yes to ourselves. Notice in the text, in verses 7 through 9, Abraham shows us what this looks like. In two important phrases, Moses paints a picture that is so important for us. He uses the phrase, pitched his tent. He set up camp. Now, Abraham is given a land in Canaan. A land that God says is going to be yours for many, many generations to come. You would have thought the first thing Abraham would have done is built a house, set up some fences, and and created a life for himself. But he doesn't. It says that he put up a tent. Tents are temporary. Tents are for sojourners. But that's exactly what Abraham does. Now if you say, well that's how they live, that's not how they live. They lived in houses, they lived in palaces. 
They lived in dwellings. But notice, as the contrast of him pitching his tent, notice what else he does in verse 8. He builds altars. There's a difference between setting up a tent and building something. And that's a picture of what Abraham was doing. Abraham recognized what we need to recognize. Our life is but a vapor. We are aliens and strangers in this world. And yes, God has given us the ability to have wealth and has given us the ability to have homes. But the issue is, are we building a life for ourselves or are we building a life that's for God? Abraham says, what I'm going to build into, what future generations are going to see of my life, are the altars I build. And generations after it, go to Bethel. To go to the place where Abraham built an altar to the Lord. Samuel, David, Solomon, all at times in the scripture would go to Bethel and worship God in the place and the altar where Abraham had built it. But none of those guys could go and find where Abraham set up his tents. Because Abraham's life wasn't about his possessions. It wasn't about his life. It wasn't about any of that. In fact, even the son that he's given in Isaac, he's willing to sacrifice for God. You see, an all-in life isn't about us. An all-in life says it is about you, God. And so I'm going to order my life so that at the end of my life, people won't remember me as much as they will remember you. Can that be said of you this morning? That you are building your life in such a way that at the end of it, people will remember God and not you. People will know where God showed up, not where you laid down roots. The greatest legacy that we can have is to live a life that builds altars to God instead of houses and lives for ourselves. Now right away you say, but wait a minute, Tim, you, uh, what am I supposed to do here? I've got to have a house. I got Yes, we need to live life. But I want you to remember this saying. God calls us to live sufficiently so that we can give generously to Him and His work. And if, if you've got that backwards then you're living an all-in life for yourself, not God. Because what you're doing is you're saying, I am to live extravagantly so that I can give sufficiently to God. That's not good enough. What God wants is God wants all of us, and He recognizes that our life is but a vapor, that we're here today and gone tomorrow, and the greatest legacy that we're going to have, the greatest legacy this church is going to have, is not what we did for ourselves, but what we did for God. And so either you're living all in for yourself, or you're living all in for God. Abraham lived in tents, but built altars, because God was far more important than him and what he had. Finally, we see the final thing we need to recognize as we follow God is we're going to learn as we go. In this first chapter, we see the best of Abraham and we see the worst. We see the faith of Abraham and we see his fear. We see great assurance of Abraham and we see anxiety. We see great wisdom from Abraham and we see great foolishness. 
Can we just stop and say Abraham's a whole bunch more like us than we would have ever thought? Wise one minute, foolish the other. Anxious one minute, assured the other. Full of wisdom, full of stupidity. You wonder why God has the patience with us. But He does. You see, Abraham was a flawed man. That God was growing in faith. And you and I are flawed people. We're broken people. But God is welcoming us into a journey. A journey to listen to Him. A journey to leave our comfort zone. A journey where we've got to let go of control. A journey that involves us living for God and not ourselves. And it's a journey that we're going to learn along the way. And it's going to be ups and downs. It's going to have curves along the way. Every once in a while, we may even crash. But the story of Abraham reminds us that when we go all in for God, God goes all in for us. And He leads and He guides and and He redeems and he, He gives and He blesses. So are you willing to follow Him? Follow the God who says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has for His people. Will you go where God is calling? Will you follow Him? Will you let Him show you the way? I know that when we step out in faith and leave it all on the table and tell God and the world that we're going to be all in for Him, we can be assured that just like with Abraham, our best days are to come. Because we have a God who began a great work in us and He's going to be faithful to see it to completion. And that along the journey, no matter what comes, we will know and recognize because of Christ we are more than conquerors. Amen? And so we can trust Him. And we can believe in Him. But it's going to mean leaving some things that are dear. And it's going to mean letting go of the control of our lives and living for God and not ourselves. But when we do, I will tell you that road to heaven will be sweet. And it will be glorious. Because along the journey, God says, you and I will be friends. And so your friend, your God creator, is inviting you into a journey. And my prayer is that you will accept it and walk faithfully with them. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the truth of your scripture. I thank you for what it teaches us. I thank you for the life of Abraham. I thank you for, for it because it models for us not a perfect life, but a broken life. And it shows us that you can use broken people. You can use people who make lots of mistakes You can take ordinary people in their ordinary lives and do extraordinary things. And so, Lord, as we enter into this journey, as we embark on a place You're going to lead us, it's not about buildings, it's not about parking lots, it's about us, God. It's about what You're going to do in and through us. Are we going to open our hands? Are we going to open our hearts to what You have for us? Are we going to be willing to go all in and leave that which makes us comfortable so that we may be led to where You want to take us? That's the heart of this, Lord. And I pray, I pray that my dear friends, I pray that this church, I pray in my own life, 
that we will do as Abraham did and listen and follow and walk with our God who has made us his friends so that we can see the life that he has for us. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your truth. Thank you, you are the great God who has done great things that we can have confidence to know that we are in the right hands when we're in yours. We love you. And now, Lord, we lift our voices in response of the greatness of who you are. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.